Hello, and welcome to Linux Action News, episode 239, recorded on May 5th, 2022. I'm Chris. And I'm Wes. Hello, Wes. Let's do the news. And let's start with Google's work to add encryption to Linux's hibernation support in an effort to improve security for Chromebooks. Yeah, really, I think their goal here is to prevent user space applications from using hibernation as a stepping stone to some kind of kernel escalation. So along with some improved user space protections, the team is looking at mandating certain types of encryption for hibernation. The team notes that, quote, the hibernate image must be encrypted with protection derived from both the platform, something like TPM, and user authentication data like your password. It does seem that Google reviewed user space software options for this job, such as USWSUSP, or user space software suspend, but basically came to the conclusion that user space software helpers alone could not really meet their security requirements. So yeah, in addition to adding some user space tooling, Google is working on kernel-based encryption with support for using TPM-backed keys to encrypt the Hibernate image file, sealing the encryption key with a PCR-based policy, and a bunch of other work to ensure that that encrypted image can actually be trusted. And then Google engineers posted an update on the kernel mailing list, and they noted, quote, a couple of patches still need to be written on top of the series, and then later stating, we also need a patch that disallows unencrypted forms of resume from hibernation to fully close the door to malicious user space. However, I wanted to get this series out first and get reactions from upstream before continuing to add to it. I would expect that this is probably going to move along at a pretty decent pace, and we'll keep an eye out. I think we'll see it in a future kernel update not too far down the road. Sticking with kernel-level improvements for just a moment, a new Apple M1 CPU frequency driver has been posted by Asahi Linux's Hector Martin. This work is important if we're ever going to see Linux achieve optimal performance and good power and thermal management on Apple's shiny new silicon. Right. You want that first-class experience if you're going to spend all the money on that hardware, I suppose. These new patches are a complete rewrite of the earlier driver. This newly rewritten driver now avoids the memory controller performance switching, which, according to Hector, is, quote, doesn't make a huge difference. So it just kind of makes sense to punt that feature to the future. This new driver is based on one that seems to have been originally created by ARM, or at least they seem to own the copyright. Uh, it's called the System Control and Power Interface CPU Frequency Driver, or SCPI for short. Some of the advantages of this now standalone driver include supporting fast switching, reporting of the current CPU frequency to user space accurately, and support for exposing the higher performance processor states as turbo states. Well, those turbo states will be useful. We have one more Apple M1 platform aside. It seems they've achieved their first vulnerability that's unique to just the Apple Silicon chips. It's called Augury, I believe. I'm not sure if I'm getting that right. It's A-U-G-U-R-Y. And it's the world's first data memory dependent prefetcher vulnerability. So if you're getting kind of like a Spectre or a Meltdown vibe, you're not too far off the mark. So those are side channel vulnerabilities like Spectre. Uh, but they're only capable of leaking in-use data. Apple's DMP vulnerability could potentially leak the entire memory contents, even if it's not actively being accessed. Uh-oh. They're doing it better. <laughs> the researchers further stated that it seems Apple is fully aware of their discoveries, but has not yet shared plans on whether or whether or not they will deploy mitigations. 
Linux 5.19 is looking like another exciting release of our beloved kernel. And it seems a very useful feature is in the works. One that enables initiating firmware updates via SysFS. Intel engineers worked on this one initially for their FPGA-based PCIe cards. They were building an ability to trigger a firmware update from user space after a boot. Now this firmware upload support is being added to the virtual SysFS kernel file system so that user space software can initiate a firmware update. For supported devices, there will now be a data, loading, and timeout files in SysFS that trigger firmware updates on a particular device during boot. Here's the basic idea. You start things off by writing a 1 to that loading file. Then you can take the binary contents of whatever firmware blob you're trying to use for update and then just write that to the data file, maybe using something like cat or dd. Once that's done, you go back to the loading file and you write a 0 to tell the kernel, all done, it's your business now. After that, the kernel uses its existing functionality for firmware updates and does everything for you. It's really quite neat if you think about the days when we had to go reboot into FreeDOS to apply firmware updates or something, and now you can do kind of the same thing with little more than a bash script. And a quick heads up for you Matrix admins out there. The Matrix community has released a high-severity fix for the Matrix App Service IRC bridge. The vulnerability could allow an attacker to manipulate a Matrix user into executing IRC commands by having them reply to a maliciously crafted message. Yeah, it seems an incorrect handling of a carriage return character meant that the message could be sent to the IRC server verbatim rather than as a message to a specific channel. The vulnerability has been patched in Node IRC version 1.2.1 and, of course, also in Matrix App Service IRC 0.34.0. Also in Matrix-related news this week, we got an update on the GNOME Foundation's complicated relationship with Matrix and IRC. We'll have a link in the show notes if you want the full story, but it seems that after years of uncertainty in a polarized community split between Matrix and IRC, the Foundation is deciding to embrace Matrix as their default and preferred platform, with IRC remaining bridged and available, but secondary in nature. The decision was reached partially based on a survey of the GNOME community itself, and from that data, it became clear that while both Matrix and IRC were popular top contenders for a preferred chat platform within the community, Matrix was preferred by newer members. And IRC, well, it had a far more mixed rating, with some users really loving it, but other users kinda despising it. It was also noted in the post that the federated and open nature of Matrix really was an extra point in its favor. Quote, People can join our conversations whether they have a Matrix.org account, a KDE one, a Mozilla one, or whatever provider they want to use. It's the modern-day mailing list, in effect. Now, as to whether or not they take on the challenge of self-hosting that instance, or paying Element-hosted services to do it for them, that will be answered separately. Linode.com slash LAN. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account, and you go there to support the show. And Linode has pricing that's 30 to 50% cheaper than the major hyperscalers out there that want to lock you into their esoteric platforms. It's how we've built everything we run in the cloud 
for the last few years. It's easy to use and it's powerful. And Linode just recently announced that their managed database service is now generally available with support for MySQL in all of their global data centers. And I can tell you one thing that I have learned. If I can outsource something like database management to a company like Linode, that's a win-win for somebody like me. Not that we couldn't run it, or I couldn't at least talk Wes into running it, but honestly, Linode does this stuff so well. They have super fast systems, crazy fast hard drives, 40 gigabit connections coming into the machines. They have 11 data centers around the world, but they're not just like chump data centers either. These are like pristine locations where Linode is their own ISP. And then inside those data centers, they have such a great combination of services. Instead of just like every possible thing they could ever conceive of and just take on tons of investing to do it, they focused on the stuff that you really need and they made it work really well. And that's what they've been doing for 19 years. They have S3 compatible object storage that we use the crap out of, cloud firewalls, DDoS protection, VLAN support, and a powerful DNS manager. And one of the best things if you're in a large organization is they'll snap right into your infrastructure management. Terraform, Kubernetes, you're going to get it done over there. And if you ever have any problems, they have the best support. Number one feedback signal I get from our audience is I tried out Linode. It's amazing, but wow, did the support blow me away. And I think people's first impressions is, oh, this is great. This UI is fantastic. These selections are good. Performance is great. But then when you get in a bind at some point, Linode's support really comes through. So go try it out for yourself and get $100 in 60-day credit, and you can support the show. It's a great chance to learn and a great chance to support Linux Action News. So go to linode.com slash LAN. That's where you go to get $100 in 60-day credit. linode.com slash LAN. linux.ting.com. And a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring Linux Action News. Go see how much you could save and then take 25 bucks off of that by going to linux.ting.com. It's a smarter way to do mobile. You can start saving money right now and save money every single month. They're a mobile virtual network operator, so they work at a level above digging holes into the ground. That means Ting focuses on their customers, they focus on their value and their deals, and they really make a great competitive offering. They were recently named the number one carrier by Consumer Reports in 2021. And they have the same nationwide coverage, a great mix of plans, LTE and 5G data that you might expect from those duopolies, but you're interfacing with Ting, and they're straightforward plans, and they're no contracts. I've been a Ting customer since 2013 because it's a smarter way to do mobile. If somehow we could hit the reboot button on the mobile industry in the United States, they would have to be built like this just to be competitive. I'm so glad Ting's out there to just keep pressure on the industry to stay competitive. And Ting is better than anybody else. So go try it by going to linux.ting.com and take 25 bucks off a phone. Or if you bring a phone, they'll give you $25 in service credit. Sometimes that pays for more than your first month. That's how great Ting is. So go get started today. linux.ting.com. A community project to bring Steam Deck's operating system into a generic, installable format and replicate something close to the official SteamOS experience caught our eye this week. It's dubbed Hollow ISO. You might ask, how is this possible, considering we have yet to see the official release of SteamOS 3? Well, SteamOS is built on open source. So this is actually a community effort to sort of reverse engineer what folks are seeing and experiencing on the Steam Deck. And since SteamOS 3.0 is based on Arch, 
build that back up themselves. The aim here, at least at first, is to offer three different installer types. You've got bare bones, which is just OS only, basically resembles pretty much a vanilla Arch install. There's also game-only mode. If, you know, you're a serious gamer, you don't need any Linux desktops. You just get the Steam Deck UI, which currently only works on AMD GPUs, it sounds like, and doesn't include a desktop environment, just for gaming. Or, lastly, you can get the Deck Experience, which is the full SteamOS 3 experience with proper session switching, KDE Plasma, good to go, media apps, and yeah, even Chromium. I guess the people are tired of waiting for Valve to release SteamOS 3. Um, if our GitHub sleuthing is correct, the creator of this ambitious project might still be in high school. But either way, it makes it even more impressive, in my opinion. Right now, the Hollow ISO project has some major functionality working. I mean, it boots, it gets to the deck UI, you can even access the Plasma desktop. Wes, I'm pretty sure you gave this a go before the show. Yes, I did. You just need to go check their GitHub page, which, of course, we'll have in the show notes and in the usual releases spot. There's the ISO ready to download. Now, you will need UEFI enabled, and they do recommend AMD hardware at the moment. Intel can work with some some downgrading to get a a Mesa version. Not sure about NVIDIA. I ultimately, not having a, a deck or suitable AMD hardware just laying around, unfortunately, I spun this up in a quick little QEMU virtual machine on my Intel laptop. That meant I couldn't really try out game mode. Uh, Not sure I got the right out-of-box experience either, because when I booted up, I was kind of just dropped to a login session, you know? Normal KDE login session, sort of defaulting to Gamescope on Wayland, which I think would be the, you know, the Steam Deck UI experience. Did have to try. You know, I just had to try. I knew it wouldn't work, but I had to try. Right. Didn't work. (laughs) Switching that over to Plasma on X11, though, that logs right in. You get the same theme that you're going to get on the deck. Otherwise, it kind of just feels like Plasma on Arch. And it comes, of course, with Steam pre-installed, so that's already good to go. Yeah, so it seems with NVIDIA GPUs, it's pretty much not working. Or if you're really savvy, there are some workarounds you might be able to pull off. And like with the Intel GPU, like you said, that isn't optimal. But if you downgrade Mesa, you can actually get everything working. Um, again, details are in the link in the show notes. But this is even just just this idea that somebody did this out there. It's what I freaking love about the Linux community. You wanted to put SteamOS on your toaster? Well, now you can have SteamOS on your toaster thanks to a developer who may not even be out of high school yet. Uh, and, and hopefully <laughs> this sends a message to Valve that the community is ready for SteamOS 3 to be released. We, we're waiting any day. And of course, when they do, we'll tell you about it right here and give you our first take. So check out linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe for all the ways to get new episodes. And linuxactionnews.com slash contact for ways to tell us all the fun you have with Hollow ISO. (laughs) I would love to hear that. Also, join us for Office Hours this week. It'll be live Tuesday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern at jblive.tv. We are discussing our new website plans, tons of podcasting news, and it's just a great community get-together. And yeah, our mumble room will be open. As for us, well, we'll be back next week, of course, with our take on the latest Linux and open source news. Thanks for joining us. And that's all the news for this week. <laughs>